0: we finally made it to the bronx river and the bronx river forest we got a little lost figuring out where the entry point was but we made it I had to climb down some steps and what's amazing is in those really relatively few steps you exit the busyness of the bronx and the city and step into this forest the river is pretty low today but it is there and it's clear there is this little island where the river splits that looks as if no one has stepped foot on it in quite a long time. Really lush. I'm sure some of the kayakers that use this river have stopped and stepped on that that little island, but it really looks quite pristine. Highly recommend people checking this place out. This is Adrift NYC. My name is Kathy Boyle Almeida. For those of you who are new here, I'm exploring 30 bodies of water that touch New York City. Yep, I've mapped out 30 waterways to visit, and I'm taking you with me to each one of these marine environments, and I'm sharing conversations I'm having with historians and scientists about these places. Plus, I'm talking to talented folks who are inspired by these waterways to create incredible things. Today, it's time for destination number seven, the Bronx River. For those of you who don't know, the Bronx River actually starts up in Westchester County, and it runs right through the Bronx and eventually empties into the East River. What's particularly interesting about the Bronx River, at least to me, is that it's the only true river in New York City. You heard me right. Even though there are several other rivers in New York City, the Bronx River is the only one that is freshwater, which is the definition of a river. Now I'm gonna stop myself there in terms of sharing more details about the river, because today's guests have so many interesting things to share. With that said, I want to jump right in and introduce you to Michelle Lupki. You're going to love her. Besides being an incredible person, she's doing incredible things to make the Bronx River great again. Michelle is the director of environmental stewardship at the Bronx River Alliance, which, if you don't know it, is a nonprofit organization that was founded in 2001 to protect and restore the Bronx River for all the communities through which the river flows. Meet Michelle. Welcome, Michelle. Thanks. It's great to be here. And can I ask just personally, what drew you to the Bronx River? The Bronx River is really magical. It's the only
1: freshwater river in New York City. The river is 24 miles long. It starts up at the headwaters in the Kensico Reservoir up in Valhalla in Westchester County. And two-thirds of it is located in southern Westchester County, and then one-third of it is in Bronx County. It really flows down the center of both Westchester and the Bronx counties and has been described as the backbone of those counties before it empties out into the Long Island Sound and the East River. And it's completely accessible by transit. So you don't need a car to go even to the headwaters of the Bronx River. You could take the Metro North all the way up there. And the Metro North line follows the Bronx River so if anyone has ever seen me on the Metro North, I'm bouncing from window
0: to window to window to look at, at the river as much as I can all the way up to the top. For people who've never been to the Bronx River, I imagine you hear people's first reactions. So I have two questions. One, where would you recommend people go if they've never been there? And then number two, maybe what you think people are most surprised about the Bronx River when they actually see it?
1: I would say to truly understand the river You have to see all of its parts. I would suggest taking that Metro North ride all the way up to Valhalla, get off at the Kensico Plaza and look at the reservoir because that is the Bronx River if it weren't dammed. And then watch it flow over the rocks as it travels downstream. And then when you get down to the mouth of the river, it empties out and it's this huge wide estuary with 10 foot tidal
0: changes. It's it's just, it's a completely different at the mouth of it. What do you think surprises people? Like, I wonder if they have a mental picture and then they just see something or experience something and I'm looking for like, what is most surprising? I think they would be surprised that there are mating coyote pairs in the woods,
1: and beaver that are active. And we have 35 different species of fish. So a lot of times when people come out, particularly kids, we say, what do you know about the Bronx River? And they say, it's dirty. What's it dirty with? Well, it's polluted. Okay, well, do you think anything can live in it? No, absolutely not. And then you start pulling bugs out and you start pulling fish out and they're just fascinated. We caught a planaria once and I just almost had an aneurysm and the kids got really excited then too because they had never even heard of a planaria much less why is this crazy woman getting really excited about a planaria I,
0: I have to admit I don't know what a planaria is is it
1: It's it's a squishy little bug that's got two bright eye spots and it you know at first we thought it was a leech but it wasn't and I mean it's still a worm but it's an interesting worm <laughs>
0: Yes, it's got a great name, too. (laughs) It does, it does. You mentioned earlier that this is the only freshwater river in the city, in the five boroughs. So there have to be very different fish species, I would imagine, than what we'd see in the East River or the Hudson River. Could you just give a few examples of what those might be?
1: Sure, yeah. So we're fresh, except for about the last five miles of the river. So about 20 miles, a little less are fresh. We've got stickleback, which is a fish. We have a bunch of shiners. They're really shiny and silver and small. They they probably look more like a sardine to most people. But the other cool thing about it is because we have both freshwater and brackish water that you find in the estuary, we really get a number of migrating fish species or diadromous fish. So we have alewives, which are a type of herring. And they live most of their lives in the ocean. And they swim upstream when it's time to spawn and have their babies in freshwater and then go back out to sea. And so that is called anadromous. And that's like a salmon. We've built a fish ladder at that downstream most dam that really is the divide between our freshwater and our estuary section. And then each year, each spring, we've been actually stocking more herring of the anadromous fish so that their babies will imprint in the Bronx River and we can really re-establish a sustainable fish population. So we're pretty excited about all of the great habitat that's coming back to the river. I think they got the memo that we've been cleaning
0: it up. So you've been doing some amazing work, Michelle, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. And I I want to ask you, what's the best place for people to either find you or to follow the work that you're doing or get involved? If
1: you want to get involved, come check us out at bronxriver.org. That's our website. You can learn about all of our different programs and all of our public programming. There's a, an event calendar that you can click on and it will lead you to registration forms. If you want to get involved and volunteer, you can email us at volunteer at org, Or you can come up and visit us at our new headquarters, which will be the River House. It's located in Starlight Park near the Sheridan Expressway. It's a brilliant new facility. It's got vines on the outside to evapotranspirate and keep the heating and cooling down. We have solar panels on the roof. We have a rainwater harvesting system that's then flushing our toilets. It's got a geothermal heating system. It's so green and it's right next to the river. And then we have a boathouse, so people will be able to come and
0: paddle with us more easily. I can't wait until the weather warms up again so I can try one of those paddling trips that Michelle mentioned. I heard about those trips from everyone that I spoke to for this episode. And the trip that I really want to check out is the flotilla. I heard that last year, roughly 70 boats were on the river for it. I'll put a link to the write-up about last year's flotilla in the show notes. It looks like so much fun. And I'm also going to put a link to the Bronx River Alliance's events page because that's where the date for the flotilla will be announced first. Next up, I want to share a conversation I had with Stephen Devillo. Stephen is chock full of historic facts and folklore about the Bronx River. Some of that history he learned firsthand because he grew up in the Bronx, specifically on the banks of the Bronx River. And some of that history he also learned through his work as a vocational historian and an author of the book, The Bronx River in History and Folklore. Come, meet Stephen. Hi, Stephen, and welcome to Adrift NYC.
2: Hi, how are you?
0: I'm very good. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, so I just want to start out and ask you a, really a curiosity. Where did the name, the Bronx River, come from?
2: It was actually from a, a Swedish uh, sea captain who uh, came, you know, in New Amsterdam. His name was Jonas Bronk. And he, he was tired of, you know, uh, sea captaining and he wanted to set up a tobacco plantation and, you know, reside as Lord of the Manor. So he, he purchased a tract of land and. What today we would call uh, Morrisania, in the the very, very south Bronx is roughly about 156th Street in today's Bronx. And the uh, curious thing, though, is that his lands did not actually extend to the Bronx River. You've seen a lot of old history books that say, oh, he built the first dam on the river, the first mill on the river. None of this was true, but his tract became known as Bronx's Land. And eventually, this got attached to the river. It was Bronx's River ah. that eventually was, uh, you know, percolated down to B-R-O-N-X as today. After a few other spelling variations over the years, that's
0: really interesting. And it stuck. And knowing history is by nature very long. Um, I wanted to just ask you if you have sort of three favorite tales or snippets of the Bronx River history that are sort of your go-tos, and if so, would you share those with us?
2: Well, one of them uh, is an old folklore story about how the British and the American Revolution tried to sail up the Bronx River, and of course, you know, they were foiled. You know, you could barely get a canoe up most of the river. You know, oh, oh, those silly British. But it's actually, it's totally not true, and I, I love to shoot this thing down, but there's several, several variations on it. One variation, they tried to send a frigate up the river, and it ran aground right off of Soundview Park today, and uh, the admiral had the captain hanged from his own yard arm, you know, for being so inept. And there's another story that actually had a gun battle going on in West Farms between British gunboats and American gunboats, and other versions they're trying to get up to White Plains to shell Washington's army during the Battle of White Plains, Absolutely none of this is true, but uh, I just love, love, enjoy shooting this down.
0: <laughs> so they never tried to go up the Bronx River in any craft?
2: Never even attempted it. No, oh, it was just, okay. Uh, yeah, it was, the origin may have been in a directive from a fellow in London who is micromanaging the war, and he got this brilliant idea, why don't you send, you know, ships up the Bronx River? Now, he knew it only as a blue squiggle on the map. of course, you know, the the admiral at the time knew perfectly well this was not an applicable river for that purpose. And the director probably went right in the garbage can, but not before sparking a legend.
3: (laughs) That's great.
0: So if you had to pick one or two things that you think the average New Yorker should know about the history of the Bronx River, what would that be?
2: It was very important to the Native Americans. There was quite a number of Native American settlement sites along the Bronx River one of which was in Hunts Point, and there was another one across the river in Soundview, and others, you know, are known up and up and down the river. And it became an industrial stream. It was actually the oldest existing European settlement on the Bronx River is in the Bronx. It's West Farms. And I love telling people, like, you know, I, so why is this place called West Farms? You know, if you look around, it's the most urban part of the Bronx. You're almost in the exact geographical center of the Bronx. In fact, it actually dates back to 1666, and it was not New Amsterdam Dutch at all. It was Connecticut Yankees coming in from Connecticut looking for new lands to farm. And a group of them came across the river. They did a deal with the Native Americans, and they set up a series of farms. And the question was what to call the place. There was already a Westchester town. There was an Eastchester, you know, running out of Chesters already. (laughs) They just called it the West Farms. And the name is stuck to this day. <laughs> and it was a Tory stronghold during the American Revolution, so quite hmm. a bit of action,
3: that's interesting, uh,
2: raids and uh, banditry going on. It's very, very long and uh, tangled tale therein.
0: One last question for you: It seems like the cleanup, for lack of a better word, of the Bronx River is a key part of its history. I've heard that from others, and would you agree with that? And if so, could you just talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, very much so, because. Uh, the Bronx River was uh, very much uh, became degraded in the uh, the 19th century. You had industry along the river, but worse still, you had the growth of towns along the river. And these are all towns that ran their sewer lines directly into the river, you know, out of sight, out of mind. You know, dilution's a solution to pollution. <laughs> it isn't. Mm. So there, there's more than one uh, attempt to re- revitalize the river. And things came to a head in the very early 1900s, shortly after they set up the Bronx Zoo. You know, the river runs through the Bronx Zoo and feeds up some ponds and bodies of water within the zoo. And they noticed all, all the, the waterfowl were going toes up in the river. And they discovered it was like a whole new disease they'd never even thought about before. They, they call the duck cholera. And they traced it directly to the effects of human pollution, you know, bacterial pollution in the, the Bronx River. So make a long story short, this resulted in the creation of the Bronx River Parkway. And it surprises people to tell them that the Bronx River Parkway was actually part of an attempt to revitalize the Bronx River. The idea being to create a reservation, move all industry and habitations away from the river, between 300 and 1,000 feet was was the rule, and to make it all worthwhile running a little motor parkway. Strictly for leisure, this was not a transportation order originally. Now, that was a partial solution, and a partial solution because it only ran as far as the North Bronx. Mid-Bronx, South Bronx, and West Farms on down, it remained an industrial stream. And that got only more maligned as time went on by the 1970s. And I can testify this this personally. There was so much stuff was dumped in the Bronx River, you know, refrigerators, appliances, old cars, and things I, I wouldn't even name in public, uh, dumped in the river that you could look down from the subway crossing at West Farms and you wouldn't realize there was a river there. It looked like you know, like an elongated junkyard. Hmm. So that's what prompted the the second wave of revitalization began in 1974 with the Bronx River Restoration, and this was purely a citizen, bare-knuckle, hands-on volunteer effort that uh, spent about 25 years gradually restoring, removing, getting stuff out of the river and restoring pathways and parks along it. And eventually this was folded into what became the Bronx River Alliance in 2001. And that's where things really took off, because one of the key aims of the Alliance was complete a Bronx River Greenway, which would be a chain of pathways and recreational parks from the the border with Westchester all the way down to the mouth of the river in Soundview.
0: And it's almost finished. Wow, that's great. I was visiting with my husband, a part of the Bronx River that's north of the Bronx Zoo, and an area we had never been to before, and we—it it was just remarkable. Like you step out of kind of like the city, and suddenly you're immersed in it. Felt like forest, and like this little gorge, like you said, it was it was really wonderful. So I'd say the Bronx River Lions, yourself, they're all doing a wonderful job at restoring it. It's it's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. listened to previous episodes of Adrift NYC, you know that this last section usually features a creative person who we've asked to visit the waterway we're discussing and then create something based on that visit. Well, today's episode is a little bit different. In fact, it's backwards. I learned about Leslie Topping and the documentary film she made about the Bronx River while doing research for this episode. Clearly, I didn't need to ask Leslie to visit the river and get inspired to create something because she literally had just done that. When she and I spoke, she had recently completed a documentary film called A River Returns, A History of the Bronx River. Knowing this creative endeavor was fresh in her mind, I reached out and we had a great conversation about how the river inspired her and how she created the film. I think you're really going to like Leslie. She's an experienced filmmaker who started out editing feature films, then documentaries and television programs. Talking to her was a real treat. Take a listen. Thank you, Leslie, for joining us today. I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you for asking me. This is exciting. And could you just, um, for our listeners' say, could you just tell us what attracted you to the Bronx River and then motivate you to create a documentary film about that waterway?
3: Well, I went to high school in Scarsdale, and the Bronx River was our local river. So when the Scarsdale Historical Society asked me to do another film... Barbara and I, Barbara is a historian who works at the Scarsdale Historical Society, Barbara Shea McDonald. We thought that the history of the Bronx River might be interesting. People are attracted to rivers. I used to hang out there as a kid, so it felt like a really romantic idea to do a history of the river. Little did I know that the story of the river was actually very, very interesting. And
0: I love how in your film you intersperse um, the, some of this older photography, the maps, with live footage of the river today, and then of course, interviews with various people. How did you go about finding those photographs? Do you do the research yourself, or how does that work?
3: A lot of that research I did do myself. New York City has a municipal archives, which is wonderful and it has these really great maps of the 1600s that we used. And then when the Bronx River Parkway was built, they documented it. Very, very well. So, there are a great deal of pictures of the before and after of cleaning up of the river. And there are also some beautiful pictures at the Bronx Zoo and the botanical garden of the river. It's lucky in that way that this river was so well documented and there are so many great photographs of it.
0: How long does it take to do the research and and then the production and, and then the editing? Like, what kind of timeline did you work on here?
3: We did it pretty quick. I think about eight months which is actually pretty quick for a documentary of this type.
0: Once you've gathered the research you want to include, how do you determine where on the river you want to actually shoot and get live footage?
3: We started it as a journey on the river, and after researching, you sort of figured out what the important areas were. We we got through the Bronx River Alliance to, to take a canoe trip, and actually the day we took the canoe trip, the river was pretty dry, and we couldn't go very far up the river. So it was limited in that way. But they, they sponsor these really great canoe trips, you know, and you have to catch the river on the right day, though.
0: <laughs> did you have to go back or did you end up being able to shoot that day?
3: We shot, uh, we shot enough. And then we just picked the towns and what was interesting along the river, the historic spots, you know, Kensico Dam, the various mills, the, the early mills along the river developed into the towns. Bronx River was also a boundary line an important boundary line that separated not only the tribes of the Native Americans, but also the towns, the manors. But Scarsdale, for instance, was the first hunting grounds because the river at one point was just filled with wildlife and beavers and was this lush, incredible river. But a lot of the fur trade wiped out the beavers and a lot of the wildlife was coming. And now it's coming back.
0: And they are back, right? I, I saw you had a little like showcase of a beaver in there.
3: <laughs> yeah, I actually saw one of them when I was at the Botanic Garden. I saw one which was pretty rare because there are only a few of them, and they've been named. There was a contest for a beaver that was found in the Bronx River, and uh, the kids ended up calling the beaver Justin Beaver.
0: So. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that's great. <Yeah. laughs> Oh, that's funny. Now, is there, I'm curious just to know of the footage that you grabbed of the river when you were shooting, is there a certain segment that or a a clip that you're particularly proud of or that you just personally Well, I worked
3: with some very, some good cinematographers. One in particular is my friend Antonio Rosario, and he's a wonderful professional photographer. And he got some very beautiful stuff. And he had one idea of putting the, the camera under the river so we've got this amazing sort of underwater footage of the bottom of the Bronx River, which is which, and the sound of the river was really sort of amazing. You could hear the sort of bubble going under the water, and in a couple of cases we passed some garbage and tires and things like that. And in some ways, I just I don't know. I really like that footage. Uh, that's great.
0: You mentioned the Scarsdale Historical Society's website as a place that people might be able to see the film. Is that is that the best place to look?
3: Yeah, the best place to see it would be to go to the Scarsdale Historical Society website.
0: All right, Leslie. Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. Leslie's documentary premiered on February 9th, and as soon as there is an online version available, I'll put a link in the show notes. That wraps up our visit to the Bronx River, number seven in the list of 30 waterways we'll visit in this podcast adventure. And I want to thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate your time and your attention. I also want to thank Michelle Lupke, Stephen DeVillo, and Leslie Topping for taking time to speak with me, and thanks to Mary Jean Stead for composing and performing our lovely theme song. If you like this show, please recommend it to a friend, even better, a bunch of friends, and take a second to give us a review if you would. We love hearing from you. You can also connect with me and other Adrift NYC listeners on Instagram at Adrift NYC, or you can visit our website at adriftnyc.com, where you can sign up to get an email alert whenever a new episode comes out. Thanks again for listening. Until next week, make waves, everyone. from the Titsi Project.